Stand Cricket Podcast time. We are back for the new summer. Uh, the footy is done, and we got a World Cup on our doorstep, so we are ready to go. My name is Corbin Middlemass, and my sparring partner is here with me. He also used to open the batting for Australia, would you believe, in Test Cricket, but he is now just a podcast co-host on the ABC Cricket Podcast. His name is Ed Cowan, and he joins us from... I'm on holidays, Corb. Oh. Not telling you. It's a secret. Beautiful. I've got a little family holiday going on, but uh, apologies for the the audio connection. I actually packed my microphone, That's but good. I was in such the zen holiday mindset, I actually forgot my computer. So I'm dialing in on the phone. I've got the mm. AirPods in. I'm sunburnt to an absolute crisp. You know when you just push it day one a little bit? I've only been here one day, and you just push the boat out a little bit, thinking I'll just get a little bit of sun off the back of winter. I cannot boot. I'm an absolute oh, lobster. Nice for a bit of Speaking, sun. Speaking, I've got one. It is nice for a bit of sun. I've got a, a hot topic just to discuss. Okay. So in the intro, I am merely just a podcast co-host. And my co-host, I'm hearing, is actually getting a little bit of recognition around town. Right. I'm hearing that ugh, you're the new Dennis committee. Everywhere you go, the voice of AFL slash cricket is just getting a lot of attention about the town. Can you confirm or deny? I definitely deny. I'm not sure about that at all. But I have a couple of shout-outs off the top. I ran into a couple of people that have big <laughs> Grandstand Cricket Podcast listeners in my travels in recent times. So I have been doing a lot of mm-hmm. footy, as you know, and when we're putting this rundown together, the only thing I could think of was uh, yeah, Collingwood's 16th Premiership or Bobby Hill's performance on Grand Final Day. You you throw, <laughs> throw up Nathan Cleary's match-winning effort for the Panthers, but I, I promise we are talking some cricket. But... When I was on my way back from Brisbane from the preliminary final, I ran into a lad named Felix who was on the plane. Mm-hmm. Huge listener of the Grandstand Cricket Podcast. So a little shout out firstly to Felix. And Gavin, I'm, I'm 90% sure it was Gavin, but there was a lot going on when I, I met him at the bar at Lavington Oval of all places. We were there for the <laughs> Ovens and Murray Grand Final, doing our bit for country Ooh. footy on the ABC. He said g'day to me and introduced himself and mentioned that he's a big fan of Ed Cowan and the, the Grandstand Cricket Podcast. So shout out to both Felix and Gavin, and hopefully I've got that 100% spot on. Well, let's give them something to to look forward to here, yeah. Paul. We've got some cricket to talk. I've got some some topics world cup feels an eternity since we last connected mm. eight weeks only honestly i've, I've missed you what uh, do you got for me uh the good news is there's a world cup button by the way on the abc listen app so i'm just going to put that up uh straight away and we'll be you'll have coverage of these games of course our mates at the tms uh we've got a diverse commentary team that's put together with people from all around the world so you'll hear coverage of these games um thursday through to sunday all 10 teams in action so they all play their tournament opener Starts Thursday night, 7.30, England up against New Zealand at Ahmedabad. And Australia's first game is Sunday night. So we'll have to wait for the Aussies. They take on the host Sunday night, 7.30, Eastern Daylight Time up against Chennai. So that's that read uh, out of the way off the top. Whoa. Up against Chennai or in Chennai? Did I say up against Chennai? Sorry, against India. You did, yeah. In Chennai. Everybody in Chennai will be barracking for India. We uh, we know that for sure. But uh, that's that's on Sunday night. Do you think there's any coincidence that Australia are playing India on the track that turns the most? Uh, probably not. And you? I think there's a little bit of jigsaw puzzling that's been going on. If you work your way through the draw, all the Antibetan countries are playing India on the slowest, lowest turning tracks. Mm. This just happens to be the highlight. India, mind you, are travelling, I think, for every single game. They don't play a single pool game in the same venue, which is interesting as well. But, of course, I think we spoke about it last podcast the Indians have really done their very best to sabotage the whole itinerary of this. They've, they've swapped a whole range of venues right through the tournament 
uh, even in the warm-up games, they've had problems of trying to commit security and games have been called off or postponed. So make of it what you will. Let's hope this World Cup is is what it what it should be and what it deserves. Do you want to talk format? Yeah. Ten teams, everyone plays everyone? Or do you want to get into just hot off the top, who's going to win it? I'm just going to give you some themes to look out for to begin with. So first one, I think, which is going to be a talking point, particularly in the first part of the tournament, it feels like every nation is injury ravaged. That there are, you look through all the 10 teams, that there are players either under injury cloud coming in, and obviously Australia is in that boat with Stark coming back from injury. Uh, Travis Head's got a broken hand. Agar didn't come up, so he's not playing. Pat Cummins is coming back from a, a fracture in the wrist as well, so there's you know, a handful of guys immediately from our team. But every single team of the tournament, Hardik Pandya, Nassim Shah didn't come up for Pakistan, laid out. It feels like every single team in the tournament, Teddy, is, is dealing with sort of one of their first choice 11, if not more. Uh, that are that are struggling with injury early in in what is going to be a two month tournament. Yeah, I think that that is a sign of the times, really, of, of the volume of cricket these players play across formats all around the world. You know, historically, these World Cups, you cotton wool players to peak around World Cup time. It's just not possible these days between the the T Twenty tournaments and how little control the boards have in letting people play in those uh, big Test series, and then Australia. You know, went and played essentially eight ODIs before the the actual tour started. So it's going to be the world's longest cricket tour for the Australian cricket team. Uh, so I'm not surprised. It's sad, but I think it's just more a case of the the modern cricketer's kind of world journey. Uh, there's never a rest and, and injuries are inevitable because of it. Uh, can I just take you through a few of them? Yeah. So uh, Hardik Pandya. Question is obviously how much he's going to be able to bowl, but he is there. Boomerah makes his return, but it, can he still be the mm-hmm. Jasper Boomerah that he was before injury? In Pakistan, Nassim Shah is going to miss the entire tournament with a shoulder injury. It's a massive loss. Harris Ralph was ruled out of one of the late Asia Cup games with injury, but is expected to be there, mm-hmm. but is questionable. Even Hussain from Bangladesh, who's one of their fast bowlers, has an ACL tear, won't be there. Hasaranga is missing for Sri Lanka, as is Chimera. So he's out with a pectoral injury. So a couple of big outs for the Sri Lankans. At England, Jofra Archer is travelling as a reserve, but obviously isn't in their 15 to start with. Ben Stokes is back playing ODI cricket, but isn't bowling. Temba Bavuma has a hamstring. All fielding, for the record. Did you All see fielding. Ken Stokes has, <laughs> has literally done no fielding. He gets 100 every time he walks out the bat and then just, oh, no, no fielding. So uh, it'd be interesting, actually, to see how yeah. teams manage that because if he, if he starts hobbling off in the field, you, you'd be straight up to the match referees. Uh, no department doubt. for sure. No doubt. Uh, just lastly, South Africa, Bavuma has a hamstring niggle. Uh, Norky is not playing at all, so that's a huge loss. Mm. Leaves a big hole with a back injury for New Zealand. Williamson's going to miss the opening game with a knee injury. And Michael Bracewell, who looks like he was going to be one of the breakout players of the tournament, has a ruptured Achilles. So that's a stinking injury for, for cricket fans to think that he's probably not going to be playing now for uh, for nine to 12 months, obviously, on the comeback trail. But yeah, every single team, all the key chances have a, a number of guys that... Yeah, if not a missing players have uh, have big question marks on them. And who's your hot tip to to win this thing? Yeah, off the top, I want to hear it. So I was thinking a lot about this. And I thought, look, I can tip India like everybody else, and it'll be a bit boring, and everyone will walk away. If say I get it right, there's not one person that's going to give me credit for it. No one's going to turn around and thought, oh, I was listening yeah. to the Grandstand Cricket podcast, and that guy tipped India to win at yeah. home. So I tossed this up, and I was thinking, am I actually going to do it? Am I going to be that guy that tips the team Pakistan. that the team that Didn't always always chokes at uh, at major tournaments 
I'm, I think no. I am. I'm going to do it. I think South Africa can win it. I think they can win the whole thing, even without without Nokia. I would have loved them more if Nokia was playing, but I think South Africa have the firepower to actually win the World Cup for a team that, as we know, have struggled miserably at, at global tournaments. But I, I like what they're doing, and two reasons. First one is... Fi- to, I'm going to tease this out a little bit. Come on, give it to me. Firepower with the bat. So, yeah, explosive batters yeah. that can clear the boundaries. And experience in India. So they've got a bunch of guys that have got it done there in the past where you can race through about nine players that have all played IPL recently and have played well when they've been there. So, I mean, so much of it's going to rely on their batting because you would think their bowling is probably going to be a, a little bit thin, which is not what we've said about South Africa in recent times. But if you look at, you know, Quinny de Kock in what's going to be a, a last tournament for him, Bavuma, who's been playing good recently. You've got Rassi van der Dusen, who's, uh, you know, comes yeah. in and holds it down at three. Markram, Miller. I think he's the number number two uh, ODI batsman, isn't he? Like, his world ranking is insane. Mm. He's kind of been under the radar, but he gives it a proper lick. And the, the guy who I haven't even mentioned yet is is Klassen, who, I mean, we, we saw what he did recently in that uh, that bilateral series against Australia. Mm. Marco Janssen's played in the IPL. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a, a lot's going to be dependent on guys like sort of Rabada and Ngidi, obviously, to hold it down with the ball. But... I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick South Africa to, to win the whole thing. And you think Shamsi's going to need to have a, a pretty big tournament as well for that to happen. I love that you've gone out on a limb. You know what? Before the Australian series, I wasn't big on them. But I, I saw enough under, you know, a lot of duress, having lost those first couple of games to come back and, and play the cricket they did. I'm not sure they're going to get it done. I, I've kind of got them penciled in for the semi-finals, and then watch the World Cup curse continue. But I like the way you've taken it, and you've given mm-hmm. it some thought, which is nice considering you're coming off the back of football <laughs> season and probably watched about ten seconds of cricket in the last eight weeks. Who do you so like? My two. I've been toing and froing here. So pre-Asia Cup, mm-hmm. I was certain Pakistan was going to win the World Cup. Absolutely certain. Just loved everything about it. Good players in these conditions. Obviously, the only big ticket item over the head was could they win in India. And so what I saw of the Asia Cup didn't really interest me all that much. They've lost two fast bowlers that you alluded to. Their batting struggled. So I'm a bit clouded in my own judgment because I was so white hot on them. And then so I'm going to, I think, England on my team. Ooh, okay. I would love it. I'd love Australia to win and we'll get into the Australian chances a bit more deeply. But, but I think England have, have the team to get it done, particularly the firepower with the bat, the style of play. They're going to be good in the field. Uh, that, that's where my gut leads leads me. India-England final, massive game. Oh, as I said, let's, maybe it's worth kind of digging into why both of us don't think Australia can win. Having, you know, 12 months ago, I think we are sitting pretty in terms of if, if you had to pick a team 12 months out, you probably would have picked Australia. But maybe maybe the last couple of months has, has changed that mind for you. I don't, you know, it certainly has for me. Just quickly, a uh, little bit of history on this front. So the hosts have actually won the last three World Cups. Ooh, yeah. okay, India winning it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> so, we can all go home. So obviously, what's that? Uh, India, Australia, and then England—the uh, the last three in in that order. England are—they're going to be fascinating watch, and it feels like yeah, Mark Wood. How many of the nine games can they get him to play during that stage, and can they get him playing his best cricket? They don't. Come, they don't need to the watch play nine. He just needs to play four. Yep. 
make sure play the big four. Make make sure you fit for the semis and final. This is this is this whole weird tournament play of it's basically a a full season, nine games, semis and finals. You really need to pick your games. I think the key thing for the Australians, you know, as relevant for for all teams that I, I think I'm a little bit worried about is when they've lost recently, they've lost massively. Mm. Lost by 150 runs or 200 runs, they've collapsed. And in a tournament like this, it's going to be the margin of your losses that determines whether you make the semifinals or not because there's going to be a whole heap of teams on five, six wins, let's call it. There are enough teams to to kind of push out of the way in, in that sense. And it's going to be how well you can actually lose. And that sounds a little contrarian, but yeah. it, you can't see a world where there are too many undefeated teams in, in these conditions. Um, and so that's what worries me. But we'll see. I mean, I, I hope they can get it done. Do you want to unpack the Aussies? Yes, I absolutely do. So uh, first of all, their squad. So ICC event, you're only allowed 15 players in your squad. They're going with 14 for at least the first three or four weeks of the tournament as they, they wait for Travis Head's hand to heal. They decided not to run the risk on Agar, given the other question marks they have over their squad. So Stark's coming back from injury, but has performed well in the lead-up games. Got a hat-trick the other day against the Dutch. So it looks like he's going to be right to go, and, and Cummins likewise coming back from that fracture in his wrist. So Warner and Marsh have been opening, Teddy. We might just start at the top and, and work our way down. So Mitchell Marsh has put up career-best numbers, batting at, uh, at one or two. They will have a Decision to make when Travis Head's available again, but do you like Mitchell Marsh as the right-handed opener alongside David Warner? Yeah, I love it. I actually think this is the key for Australia if they are going to go deep and win it. And we saw this in India when both Green and Marsh had great series. It was probably 12 months ago, and they actually won the ODI series from memory. But it was a style of play that was pretty unfamiliar for the Australians for the last four-year cycle, which was brute force at the top, a little bit more how England and mm. and other teams had been playing, you know, really setting out to, to take the game on. And what I saw, I loved, because it, it, it was putting pressure on the opposition teams. It was allowing the middle order to flourish. And it was kind of this post-Aaron Finch, Dave Warner era that had been consistent to a degree but hadn't really over the last three or four years won many games because of the the style and the pace of scoring so I love Mitchell Marsh at the top it's going to rely on him to really find a way in the easiest overs both in terms of wickets in terms of and by wickets I mean the pitch they're playing on uh you know less people out the contrarian view is someone like a Mitchell Marsh is actually better off on these smaller grounds batting when there are five out. And maybe you should open with a Steve Smith or a Manus Labuschagne because the normal cricket shots are going to go to the boundary. It's easiest time to bat. There's no tie. It doesn't really matter if you hit them 10 rows back or 50 rows back, it's still six. And mm. so with five people on the fence, maybe Mitchell Marsh is better used in, in those later overs. Personally, I like him at the top. It sets the tone, particularly when Travis Head isn't there. That kind of makes the case for Dave Warner to play the way that he's been playing. He's been scoring freely, albeit without too many big scores, but but good contributions. So I like the setup. Marsh goes to three as soon as Head's back. Head slots straight in. It means that you don't necessarily get the Smith-Labashane combination in the middle, which is, I think is a danger for the Australians. But make no mistake about it, if Australia are to win this, it's going to rely on their bowling. 
it's going to be back to 2007 where Tate and Bracken really dominated on those low, slow wickets of the West Indies. The batters chimed in when they needed to, no doubt. And we all remember, you know, the Adam Gilchrist famous 100. The batting struggled for a long period of time that tournament, but the bowlers got them through. And I feel that that is the same setup for Australia here. It's going to be Dark, it's going to be Hazelwood, it's going to be Cummins, it's going to be Zampa that win this tournament for Australia. That, as well as their fielding, hopefully, can get it done. I I would love to back them. Um, I just haven't seen enough in the last six weeks, I'd say. Maybe three months ago, I would have have doubled down, but... um, maybe the the chopping and changing I haven't liked, the injuries I haven't liked, they haven't settled on their best team. I don't know. There's lots yeah. of competing just, thoughts going around in my head. Yeah. It, it's a great breakdown, and it, the team certainly presents that way again, as you touched on. And we fall in love all the time with the batters, and particularly on the small grounds that are the flat wickets. But just everything, the, the way the game's been played, the warm-up matches, there have been massive scores. I don't, did you say that? Was it the mm. Pakistan-New Zealand game where there was 700 scored in 90 overs or something and they right. chased it down with ease? Like, I just So Australia were aligned so much on their, yeah, if we want to use the American expression, their defense, obviously, when they bowl. But it just feels like it's just not going to be that kind of tournament. Over 50 overs where you've got so many guys that have experience in these conditions given you know, the global tournament that is the IPL. It just feels like it's it's going to be a bat off, and that teams that are going to score regularly over three fifty are going to be successful. And it feels like Australia are set up the other way that they're there to try and defend. And I'm just not sure you can defend these grounds. These are some of the best batters in the world that have experience playing against really good bowlers in these conditions previously. The other thing, it's going to be hot. So Australia are used to playing you know Test cricket there in the month of what, February and March, where it's very different conditions. By the time we get into November, this is going to be warm, warm. And if they find themselves out in the heat and the humidity, it just it worries me a little bit, the fact they're going to be relying so heavily again on the same three guys in, in Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, plus you know, Zampa to get it done. Yeah, it, feel, it feels a little bit like the team looks the same but smells a bit different. It's like this team has been together for a long period of time and it hasn't been... A lot of excitement around it and so maybe it's hard to now just flick the switch and say this is the team that's going to win the world cup in conditions in india the moment as i kind of alluded to the moment i I did get excited was this time last year when they won that series and it was a style of play that was totally foreign to the australians green and marsh were going hell for leather everyone was taking the game on it's easier to do that a a year out from the world cup Mm then they just didn't keep the momentum of that team and the style of play it was bringing. And I've gone back to you know, a pretty similar stock standard team, Warner, Smith, Labashane, all the names that you'd expect. Not many one-day specialists aside from Maxwell. We'll see what we get. Uh, look, I'll be cheering them on because I would love to see them get it done. I'm, I'm just not under it on it. Yeah, and it felt like the guys... Like Travis Head was something that was different about it, and now he's injured and yeah. hurt. And Mitch, it's, like you said, it just doesn't quite have the same sort of dynamism or change that I guess we were thinking of. And the other thing is, it sort of, and this is probably true across the board. You look at every team; there's yeah, a handful of guys. It feels like the last World Cup for a bunch of them. That it's the last time they'll get to go to a global tournament. And by the time we roll up in four years' time, it's going to look very, very different. The uh, the team that Australia puts out there. Yeah, that is fact. I mean, there is cause for some concern for the whole global ODI tournament full stop. Maybe there won't be another World Cup. Who knows? But what do you think of the 10-team format? It's the same format that they ran in, in England. 
there's oh no, there's pros and cons. There's some kind of glitz and glamour for the lesser known countries oh. like the Dutch. They get <laughs> nine full games against you know some bigger nations on the world stage. It's taken a lot for them to qualify. We've got teams that have missed out, like the West Indies, that you expect to be there. So it does feel more elite as a World Cup. Uh, you know, certainly as these smaller ODI-playing nations have gotten better, it does feel like the best of the best are coming through and it means something. But the, the flip side of that, and, and maybe the T20 World Cups, you know, the tournament for this, is the broadening of cricket. I just love seeing the global aspect coming to life and seeing more nations competing so it's probably right for the odi world cup india play a lot more games there's more broadcasting rights attached to it uh, and as long as they're broadening the the experience for more countries in the t20 world cup i'm probably happy with it i don't know yeah i would do you know what? i wouldn't mind two pools of five you play four games and then we have a super sixes sort of going back to the past and let's just get down to the sixes. That is turning back the clock. Yeah, and get to mm. the get to the better teams in a hurry. With all due respect, I don't want to see the Dutch play nine games. I get that it's great for them, but uh, are we all really sitting down and watching them play you know, 100 overs of cricket against England and New Zealand and, every, and the same for Bangladesh and mm. everybody else? Whereas if you went back to a... Let's start wide. Let's start with ten. Let's get to six, and then from there we uh, we we advance from that point on. I, I wouldn't be. I, I, it feels long to be honest. It's a two month tournament, and the, where fifty over cricket sits in the psyche of cricket fans around the world, it feels like the longest. It feels like the last fifty over World Cup of this length. I'd be surprised to be honest if if we continue with this size of a tournament that you play nine pool games going forward. But it, it is. I mean, for it, people talk all the time about yeah how the the draws and how they're not equal and everything else. It's a very fair tournament. You all play nine games mm. and then the, the four go through and it's 1v4, 2v3 and we get a winner from there. Yeah, and the flip side of that is people love the Jeopardy of World Cups and pools and, and, and how that plays through. And I don't think we'll get that. what the luck, like, of the, luck of the draw actually happens. But do you think we're really going to get to the end? Like nine's a big sample size. That's 900 overs of cricket. Do you think we're really going to get to the end and it's, it's going to be thinking, <laughs> oh, someone was unlucky here or there or a rain delay cost them? I think, look, at the end of the day, we're going to get the four best teams through to the semifinal over such a long sample size. Yeah, well, look, there's, there's no doubt that this style of tournament is set up to maximize Indian TV rights. The more games they play, uh, the better it is for, for world cricket when it comes to, to television. So that's the undeniable yeah. truth of it. Hard to really get your head around a two-month tournament, though. It does feel a, a very long period of time for a sport that is non-contact. It's a full season. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's an, yeah. It's an NFL <laughs> season. Yeah. Oh, it's a... Yeah. Do they even play 10 games now in domestic cricket over the whole summer in the 50-over tournament? Be no, flat out playing that bad. Just on the Australian team before we leave it, so uh, Marshall obviously open. Then we have, what, Smith and Marnus at 3-4. At, uh, Maxwell somewhere in the middle order there. It's going to be a shootout between Stoinis and Green. It feels like it's headed Stoinis' way. He'll he'll play in front of Green at least to start with uh, with Carey, the keeper. No complaints there? No complaints. Uh, there is a world where they, they start playing Stoinis and Green together and and maybe Marnus misses out, particularly, uh, you know, on grounds that that they need a bit more variety with ball. I know they do the same thing, but that that feeling of more all-rounders and having more options with the ball on these smaller grounds where if someone is actually taken down, you, you might only need two or three overs out of them. They can mix and match a little bit more and they might they might do with his power 
uh, in the middle order as well. So there might be a coin toss there in, a, in regards to Marnus in the middle order. I know he's been playing excellent cricket. I just, I'm unsure it lends itself to Smith and Labuschagne and these types of games that you've alluded to where 350 plays 350, something would really need to happen. I don't mind Smith opening, to be honest. Yep. but not- It gives him an opportunity. It just breaks something up between those two. I don't love them potentially bogging down the middle order. And the other thing is there's going to be games that so he's going to get a look in at some stage because you think there'd be games that he might play alongside Stoinis and that's almost like your third seamer. And then they need Maxwell and uh, Zampa to get a 20 yeah. overs out of him. For example, the games against the Dutch or Bangladesh or whatever it turns out to be and they feel like they need to nurse these guys through. Carrying Travis Head means that there's only three other players available to them. So that's either you know, Green slash Stoinis, depending on who makes the team and who misses out. And then you're looking at what, like a Sean Abbott. He's basically your only reserve quick who will have to play some of those games because um, yeah, you, you wouldn't have thought the, the three frontline quicks are going to play seven or eight of those matches. So that they're going to need some sort of a, a rotation policy as, uh, as the tournament progresses. Uh, and they've got the reserve yeah, keeper. Cool they've got Inglis in there, so... Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot's going to rely on their first choice 11 as we head through. A couple of the other chances, Teddy. So clearly the host nation, India, they're going to be strong again. It's going to be probably a farewell tournament at 50-over level for guys like Virat Kohli and, and Rohit Sharma, who obviously uh, leads the team. Rohit's playing his third 50-over World Cup and Virat is fourth, and they get the chance to, to try and win the 50-over World Cup again on home soil. They're understandably the favourites. Teddy leading in, given the firepower that they have, plus in, in home conditions. And as we touched on off the top, that uh, that has you know, turned out favourably for the hosts in, in recent tournaments. Yeah, it's hard to deny their favouritism in their conditions. They're, they're a very good team all around the world, let alone in India. It is interesting. These World Cups tend to be you know, moments in time that you not only say, oh, this is their last World Cup, but that it feels as though world cricket isn't in a place, and just to zoom out for a second, that there could be mass ODI retirements after this World Cup. People kind of signal that, in fact, the, the T20 status of these competitions around the world is more interesting to them. Yeah, And so there's this natural moment in time that happens to be this World Cup that there's a shift and maybe the importance of the ODI World Cup diminishes after this particular one. I don't know. I'm just starting to see a world where, you know, I read a report yesterday around Saudi Arabia uh, meeting with the Indian ambassador. They're looking at some kind of investment in sport. We've, we've had the flourishing of the major league cricket. It just feels as though the world of ODI cricket, despite the broadcasters loving it, is getting smaller by the day. And this is the moment that it starts to unravel, not to be a doomsday, but it's not a unrealistic situation. Uh, and name brand players across the world. So obviously you've got you know, Warner, Smith, Maxwell from the Australians, you know, Williamson, Bolt, Southie. Uh, are they, you know, it, it feels like it's going to be the, the last World Cup for all those guys. Stokes, Butler, Quentin de Cox already signalled that this is going to be his last tournament. Uh, Shaky Bell Hassan's going to play in his fifth World Cup, would you believe, at uh, at Bangladesh, which is yeah. uh, which is a whole lot of cricket over a long period of time. But yeah, it, it certainly feels like um, that we're going to see less and less games, perhaps outside of the World Cup. Like I imagine this will be a huge money spinner yeah. for India, um, and maybe this is this is really all we get every every four years. And so maybe it'll have a certain sense of nostalgia going forward that uh, when we we do have 
um, 50 over cricket where we you know so infrequently have it uh, in between. It's hard to have a World Cup in a format that isn't being played regularly, though. I, I do struggle with that as a as an idea. Make no mistake, every form of cricket's a money spinner for India, let alone a world a home World Cup. True. And they take they, they take the the vast majority of ICC distribution. So uh, this is just another example. All right, then, little final four prediction for us, Teddy. Who makes it all the way through to the end? Ooh. Hard to leave New Zealand out. It's a team we haven't spoken about at all. Just have a great record of of coming good in World Cups. Bangladesh, we haven't spoken about. Sri Lanka, Asia Cup finalists, we haven't spoken about. Jeez, they, but they did their best when to it under, comes. They did their best to undo that status in the actual final, though, didn't they? All out for fifty no, inside sixteen overs or something. Uh, oh no, not good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with with probably what I would have said three months ago, and that's Australia, England, Pakistan, India to play in the semifinals. Australia. Don't know in what order. So no South Africa? No South Africa. Wow. Okay, I've got South Africa in. I'll go... Actually, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. (laughs) Hang on. (laughs) Okay. Maybe no Pakistan. No, I'll stick with it. I'll stick with it. I'm sticking with it. So I'm the same as you, minus I've got South Africa in, Pakistan out. So we've both got the Aussies. We've got the big three, England and India with, with... a different fourth. Uh, and New Zealand would love it, wouldn't they? They wouldn't have it any other way, that we've uh, we've both left them out of our final four, and more often than not, we'll be sitting no here. They're going to win it. Just, we'll, be, we'll be chatting about their run to the final, I'm sure, in uh, six or seven weeks' time when we're sitting here on the on the Grandstand Cricket Podcast. Domestic crickets. Will, oh, sorry, one last yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. One last question. Will there be any upsets to remember? Always. There's always. Uh, there'll be less than the T20 World Cup. I, I don't think, obviously, longer sample size. The better teams will prevail more often than not. I could see, like, say, one of the Asian nations, you know, winning a game in conditions that are a bit more familiar against, say, you know, one of the, the senior countries, but maybe something like that. Well, have you got one for us? Uh, I can see Bangladesh making a little bit of a quirky run at it, beating two or three, not making the semifinals, but doing better than what's expected in Sam the Sri Lankans. I don't think we're going to see the Dutch knock over... <sighs> England or anything super crazy, but I'm always interested. I mean, those situations are always great, great talking points. Sorry. Yeah. Domestic cricket, you were yes. saying. We're underway. It's amazing. We're, what, six games into the white ball season. The Sheffield Shield started today while you're in your undisclosed location uh, abroad. But uh, we're, we're start of the new season. Victoria and WA have won both of their first two games in the 50-over format. Uh, there's only been one mm-hmm. century so far. There's, I think, the best bowling performances is a uh, forfa for for Lance Morris. So just a pretty slow sort of cruisy start into uh, into the new 50-over format. But we're uh, we're underway. We are underway. One thing that you you didn't mention was it flew under the radar a little bit, but that the Australia A, which it was probably more of a Australia B team in a sense that the Australian ODI team was away in South Africa, but it was the second team in many respects with a lot of players being rested, so it kind of filtered the way through. But one thing it was was a massive opportunity for a few players to step up and score some runs. And particularly, I'm kind of aiming this squarely at Cameron Bancroft, who gets a lot of airtime on this podcast. But if he'd knocked out 200s in that A-series against New Zealand, on decent cricket wickets and against an average attack really in the in the scheme of things it would have put a lot of pressure on the start of the test summer but it didn't really eventuate that way and you, you talk to no real big runs in these first opening domestic games but there were no big runs aside from 
really Josh Felipe getting a, a first-class 100 under his belt. It was disappointing in many respects because that was a moment for a few people to really put their name up in lights, be it a Caleb Jewell or a Tim Ward or a you know Cameron Bancroft and nothing. It was a, it was a peter out into, yeah. into a bit of blank space. And so we're kind of stuck in this moment. But you're right, the domestic season is underway. Saw the Shield score this morning, Tasmania, five weeks in the opening session at Karen Rolton Oval. Fascinating story, actually, going the rounds of they're now doing drop-in yeah. and natural wickets in the one square. I, yeah. I love that as a innovation. And, and the fact that they're trialling new things, they've always been very progressive in Adelaide around their wickets, this rich history of curation. And Les Burdett, when South Australia were playing, when the Adelaide Oval was being refurbished and they were playing down at Glenelg, had an innovation of wickets then drainage in the middle of the square and more wickets on either side of, of a drainage system that ended up playing really well as well, you know, turning a club ground into a first-class ground. They've now had this innovation. The Adelaide Oval has obviously been a fantastic place to play, but all in, you know, Karen Rolton was playing so differently to the wicket in Adelaide, you know, proper at the main oval. And so they've tried to to make them more similar, which I think is... Is, is really interesting. Not a bad idea either, given the fact that South Australia all of a sudden now have a pretty handy bowling unit with the guys that they've been able to put together, of course, under under Jason Gillespie. And they come up against yeah. a Tasmanian team that seems to have all their guys missing at the moment. There's no Nathan Ellis. He's he's out injured. Um, Billy Stanlake didn't play the first game. Riley Meredith's out. And you, you look at that South Australian bowling roster, it includes guys like Brendan Doggett, who, of course, has toured mm-hmm. as, a, as an Australian in the past. Wes Agar, Spencer Johnson, Jordan Buckingham, Nathan McAndrew, Henry Thornton and Harry Conway. So you've got sort of seven guys in and around the domestic scene that uh, can bowl same up for them, which I'm sure we'll see at various stages across the summer. Yeah, it's a, that's a really interesting call-out. And, and all tall seamers, long gone are the days of the, the Chad Sayers doing the rounds of that over. They all stand the seam up. They all get good bounce. I like the look of Buckingham in, in the previous A-series. Yeah. He's, he's actually come on leaps and bounds in the last 12 months. So it'll be interesting to see maybe this is the year that, that South Australia can piece it together. It's going to be a, a fascinating domestic summer, actually. It's, it's a little bit of a changing of the guard in many respects of these new younger blood coming through. Hard to look past WA again. They're just such a, a phenomenal team and, and really have that consistency of, of playing roster to get it done. Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, the, the Tasmanian team is lost a fair bit of experience as well. So Ben McDermott's gone home to his uh, his native Queensland, so he's playing for them for the yeah. first time in like nine years or something. Peter Siddle, obviously, he's gone back to Victoria. Uh, Jackson Bird to, uh, to New South Wales. So they all of a sudden look a bit younger, plus Tim Payne's retired. So there uh, there's there's a few new faces in, in that lineup. Jake Weatherald now plays for Tasmania. Jake Fraser-McGurk, my man, the rooster, is playing for South Australia. So there have been sort mm-hmm. of a, a few changes like there always is uh, over the off-season. Perhaps... No bigger change than uh, in your state, Teddy, in New South Wales, with Greg Shippard obviously coming on board as the coach. It means Moses Enriquez, who's been his long-time captain with the Sydney Sixers, is now the full-time captain again of the Blues. Curtis Patterson lost his place in the team late last year, so he's back as a batter, but uh, without the the leadership responsibilities this this summer. Yeah, I'm obviously pretty 
close to this. Oh, I, I quite like how New South Wales is shaping up. Uh, it was needing a, a strong coach when we saw Shippard take over as interim at the back half of last year. And with that coaching staff, some familiarity around leadership. And uh, despite Moses being you know, really in the twilight of his career, I think it is a moment of recalibration. You know, a team that was incredibly poor last year, basically a clean out of the coaching roster. Ali De Winters now on board. Nick Larkin, having finished playing, has come on as a junior coach. Uh, and so there's this element of, of some excitement of these younger players. And we always talk of, you know, the Jack Edwards, but now you've got the, the Davies brothers as well. Tambi Sanger back from injury. Uh, you know, Blake McDonald potentially playing some cricket who has forced his way into the team. There's a little bit of a fresh look about it uh, blended in with this experience that, um, you know, probably hasn't delivered the the outcomes that that New South Wales cricket would expect, but at the same time probably hasn't been allowed to. They, they haven't had a home venue. They've been playing a lot of games away, uh, you know, with, with the issues with the, the SCG wicket and no no home ground, so to speak, of. Uh, they now have Cricket Central, where the, yeah. the first first-class game will be played tomorrow, and it'll be interesting to see how that wicket plays. But from all reports, it's just a fantastic place to play cricket. So hopefully there's, a, you know, for Australian cricket and as well as cricket, there's been a bit of an inflection point in in the production of of test players moving forward from New South Wales because there really has been a dearth of them in, in the last five, six, seven years. And just lastly on the Vicks, so Will Sutherland is the captain uh, of, uh, of the Victorian team. He obviously captained Australia Ray too in, uh, in one of those lead-up series. Uh, and Will Pukowski's back. So there's a, a name that we um, haven't heard of for a while. Mm. He only played two games for Victoria last summer, played 18 games over in London playing club cricket and won a Premier League title over the winter months as well, playing with the MCC. I say the winter months. It, this, their season concluded late in April, so probably since we, we last did a deep dive on domestic cricket. But uh, nice to see him back. He's, he's going to play that Shield game over in Perth against uh, WA this week. Straight into the baptism of fire and yeah. into uh, against the best team on the bounciest wicket. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he comes through that, and, and fingers crossed um, he plays well. The Women's Series is already underway. So speaking of games that you can catch on uh, on ABC Radio, there's already cricket on your radio with uh, with Australia and the West Indies. And what a series it's turned out to be so far. So one all headed to the decider in Brisbane, which is on uh, Thursday evening. You can hear it on, on ABC Radio, as I said, and then a 50-over series to start with. Uh, one game at AB Field and then the last two in Melbourne next week. How about that for a game of cricket, Teddy? So Australia post 212 batting first, their fourth highest total ever and failed to defend it as Hayley Matthews reels off uh, the highest individual score in a run chase. It was also a record run chase for the team and the highest scoring women's T20 game of all time in terms of aggregate to have you know well over 400 runs scored. Yeah, unlike their male counterparts, West Indies female team is, is actually a pretty well-organized team and, and have been have been so for a few years. The thing that comes to mind, I mean, phenomenal game of cricket, but even before last night's game, Talia McGrath was was making suggestions that North Sydney Oval's become too small for international female cricket and that she felt like she wanted to hit every ball for six uh, in in the innings before that where, uh, uh, you know, I think she had 60-odd, 20-odd balls. 
And it, it is interesting, having seen the FIFA Women's World Cup, where these uh, this amazing tournament played at the big stadiums uh, around Australia and New Zealand, whether or not it's time uh, for our national female team to actually move away from what I'd call you know, beautiful, quaint cricket ground. But the, the batters have actually outpaced the development of bowling in, in women's cricket and, and so these grounds actually aren't big enough for, for most of these girls that they and you could say the same about you know a few of the bigger hitters in, in in male t20 cricket as well but an interesting topic of conversation can you get your view as mm. to whether these games should actually be played on on some of the yeah. the more traditional look, test venues look I, I like it but i also I was a batter, I like offense, so I, I like sort of the short format of the game and the high scores, to be honest. When I go and watch a T20 cricket, I want to see fours and sixes. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like they're perfectly suited for those venues. I like the fact that every time you tune in, it feels like there's a crowd there because you've got everybody sort of seated in the same area and on top of each other, uh, whereas you know, they're getting lost in, in bigger stadiums. And I thought this was just excellent for the series, that you've got a you know, team that runs down 213 or whatever it was, and all of a sudden I'm more interested in watching Game 3 than perhaps I otherwise would have been. Um, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I quite like it, and... Um, I know what you're saying, and that, and that's really been the issue for women's cricket for a while, hasn't it? Particularly when it comes to sort of speed on the ball and the the bowling in general. As to um, now that all of a sudden the the batters are um, elite at, at what they do, and we've been able to we've seen that on display for a period of time. How we get the, the pace bowling to catch up? I'm not sure. Sort of moving the venues, you know, what well, rather than having a few miss hits and some caught on the boundaries, it, it's not really going to help things like the airspeed, for example, or it's it's what just going to make the boundary a little further away and and harder to reach. So I, I actually don't disagree with you. I'm I'm, I'm just yep. playing a little oh, bit of devil's advocate, but, but mainly because I, those comments were interesting to me. Mm. You know, it's it's the sign of the mentality. Maybe that they even feel having seen the the, the Matildas. Yeah, that it makes them feel like second class citizens, and, and they aren't. And the, yep. the, the trick is this time of year, if the, if you're going to play a series, there are no cricket grounds Correct. really aside from the wacker that's available. Yeah. And we know the Wacker is actually a great venue for for women's cricket because of the pace on the ball. That looks so maybe that yeah. that could have been an option as well. But no, personally, I think North Sydney is a great venue for for male and female cricket. I love it. Mm. Ideally, yeah, sure, the boundaries could be three or four meters bigger. Uh, but all the games I've, I've seen there recently, in, including uh, the male version, have been great spectacles. Given Given, as you kind of say, you've got the hill, you've got the old grandstands, probably due a little bit of a refurb, but um, just thought I'd flag it. Interestingly, they dropped Hayley Matthews twice. So once yeah. in the outfield by Megan Shute and then once in the infield by Phoebe Litchfield when she was on 30 and 87, respectively. And Alyssa Healy in the post-match press conference clearly had had a look at some of the data and the numbers. They were only hitting the stumps at 20%. So it goes to show that they didn't field well, which is usually a hallmark of you know, any Australian cricket team when they're up and running. And that they, you know, on a small ground like that, if you're, if you're bowling wider, the, the stumps, you, you're asking for trouble. But you're right, the, the comments are interesting and just a mentality more than anything to think. And I remember I've done heaps of interviews with um, you know, the leading Australian players where my question to them is always, you know, wh- where does the next bit of motivation come from? I mean, the, the person that's well-fed, it's hard to stay hungry. And to think that they go from playing in front of 85, 87,000 at the MCG to now all of a sudden be playing a, 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 you know, a bilateral series at the beginning of September, 
I can understand how that doesn't motivate you the same way as it does playing in front of big crowds. Now that these are uh, some of the things that some of uh, the you know the Australian women's cricket team have experienced, that maybe they're just not as as motivated or as locked in on the back of an Asher series and and everything else that they've uh, they've had on their plate in in recent times. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call out because the, you know the the inverse of what I've just suggested is what just happened in England. You yeah, know, the, the series sold out at Trump Bridge at, at Lords. Uh, you know, these standalone series, albeit in Ashes, can if if they're done properly, can get the crowds that they deserve. So anyway, yeah. interesting, Le- something to keep an eye on. And later in the summer, Australia will play South Africa in a uh, multi-format series. So we've called for this outside of the women's Ashes, where you play one Test match, three ODIs, three T20s. We're going to get it uh, against South Africa later this summer. So. And we'll work our way through that, Teddy, as we will, the rest of the issues in uh, in Australian cricket. It's a, it's a solid hit-out. We've almost put an hour down, uh, first first show yeah. back. Felt a bit rusty, not going to lie. So yeah. if, if you're still listening at this point, thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. No, was, we'll get better. I thought I, was, I thought I was pretty locked in, to be honest, first one back, Teddy. So okay. I sort of did my bit. Bit of a net session. Fell a fell. <laughs> Nah, you know what? It's a long Corb, it's a long tournament. Correct. We don't want to peak. We don't yeah. want to peak. And uh, the the benefit of this coming out on a uh, Tuesday, Teddy, is it's only six days until our next one. So we're back in our uh, unusual spot on Ooh. Monday next week and then every single Monday after that throughout the summer. So, um, yeah, join us next week on the Grandstand Creek Podcast. Safe travels home. Are you going to still be in your undisclosed location next week or will you be back by then? No, I'll be, I'll no. be back at work. Back at work. How <laughs> to be out next uh, next next yeah. Monday? Tell your friends about it. The Grandstand Cricket Podcast. Uh, enjoy the start of the, the World Cup, Teddy. We'll uh, we'll pull it all apart on Monday after we've seen every team play their tournament opener. Thanks, Corb. Well done.